Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 111 of Impact Boom. My name's Amadeo Watson, and I'm passionate about transforming business for good. Today we're speaking with William Stubbs. William is co-founder and director of Spur, a group of companies working towards a world that is fair, sustainable, and well, including award-winning non-profit Spur projects and social impact strategy house, Spur Labs. Spur's work focuses on understanding what drives human behavior and shifting societies and communities towards better, measurable social outcomes. This work spans mental health, sustainability, and civil rights. This has included developing the world's first real-time mental health survey that tracked the emotions of 11,000 participants around the globe to construct an open source database of mental health data, developing impact metrics for WWF's Earth Hour campaign, or developing a low-cost mental health aid kit for refugee camps. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Will's journey in founding a social impact strategy agency and the lessons he's learned along the way. We'll get Will's valuable advice about maximizing impact and insights around effectively measuring and articulating change. And we'll hear about the changing role of organizations today and those that exemplify effective change. So, Will, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. That's good. I'm excited too. Just to start things off, could you please share a bit about your background and what led you down the path of social impact strategy? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Um, I, I don't really know how I got here, to be honest. It, it's kind of, it was never an, an intention. I think if you asked me uh, in my early 20s or in my you know, teen years what I wanted to be, this would not have been it. But uh, I think it was, it, was a, it was an accident that I fell into what I do, but a very happy one. I, I actually love what I do. Uh, I can't imagine being anything else. But um, basically, it, it came about um, when I was a kid, so I was about 12, uh, I um, got quite sick. Uh, I became quite depressed, um, quite uh, chronically, really, and became suicidal. And I almost took my own life, but then I was quite lucky to, to get through that, uh, to recover. And then in my early 20s, um, with that far behind me, I, I was introduced to a friend of a friend called Lee Crockford. Um, and Lee and a few other young guys uh, in Brisbane had an idea to create a campaign to tackle uh, man suicide. So in Australia, if you're a man aged 14 to 44, the number one way that you'll die is from suicide. So this mutual friend had known about my experience. I, I divulged that to him and he said, hey, you should, you should get involved. You should think about using that for something. Um, and I said, sure, I'm happy to give it a crack. Um, I thought I'd be doing something behind the scenes. Ended up as the face of the initial campaign called Soften the Fuck Up. And that campaign was was aimed at getting young men in particular to reject the problematic teaching of masculinity, which is to be overly stoic, and instead understand that you can actually be soft at times, and you have to be to, to seek help. 
So we, we approached this campaign pretty much the opposite of every other campaign that was out there at the time. So most things were black and white. They were very serious in tone. They were very clinical. And instead, we went from the angle of bright and bold colors, strong language, in a way to identify and relate to the target demographic. That was the start of it. And I think I, I really had no idea at that point that this would become my career, my, my passion, my, my life's work, I suppose. Though, you know, who knows where I'll end up another 30 years, but totally accidental. And, and so we, we, we loved that campaign. Um, people loved the campaign. We, we developed a strong online following. We won some awards. But then we sat back and we looked at the campaign. We went, well, it's a good campaign. Uh, you know, it has a great name. It, it was quite engaging. People liked it. People wanted to share it. And it reached uh, millions, um, had international news coverage. But what did it actually achieve? And while we received some messages from individuals telling us that you know, they were close to suicide or they were thinking about suicide and they saw this campaign and it stopped them from taking that action and saved their life, that meant so much. But those anecdotal uh, stories were the only real impact measurement that we could see. And so we decided to refocus the work that our then fledgling organization, Spur Projects, was going to undertake and make sure that every campaign or project we did uh, henceforth was going to be very, very much focused on measuring the impact that we do. And that then led to six uh, plus years of running our own campaigns until we launched our consultancy Spur Labs. I think what we didn't realize at the time was that being self-funded, not having all the resources, every campaign that we did, uh, we had to have a fairly solid uh, expectation or understanding of what we were doing and how it was going to create an impact and how we could demonstrate that because we didn't have the budget to redo it the next year. That ended up meaning that I got a really, really good education in practice of how to design social change campaigns and also how to design social impact measurement strategies, which has now led to um, the work across both spur organizations being solely around changing behavior en masse for social good and then demonstrating that impact. So now we, we create our own campaigns through our nonprofit. We work with clients uh, through our consultancy house, ranging from WWF to government to Anglicare, whatever the issue is, as long as it's social impact focused and we can change that through behavior, we'll, we'll take it on. Mm, that's really interesting work. I'd love to hear more about Spur. Specifically, what do you define as the organization's purpose and vision? Mm. And then I'd like to hear a bit more about the other projects that you're currently involved in. Sure. Um, so, so whenever I talk to anybody about what Spur does, and I refer to Spur meaning both the nonprofit and the um, consultancy firm, and it's important to note that um, all the work that we do through the consultancy is focused on social impact. The uh, revenue itself, uh, 5% at least of revenue, is devoted into the charity straight away, as well as 20% of employee time. So they're very, very much um, closely interlinked as organizations. Um, the mission of, of the whole group, though, is to create a world that's fair, sustainable, and well. And the reason that we chose those three goals is that when we broke it down into, if you look at the UN um, Sustainable Development Goals, the kind of work that we've done in the past, or what we thought were the major challenges facing society in the world, it really comes down to those three things. Um, fair in the sense of do we have equal opportunities for everybody? Do we have access to civil rights, uh, gender equality, uh, LGBT rights, and so on? 
Do we have open processes for uh, elections, for instance? Sustainable in terms of both uh, environmental sustainability. Uh, Are we taking more from the world than we are putting into it, for instance? Are we protecting our reefs, our forests, and so on? As well as financial sustainability. And one of the big challenges for a nonprofit is that, especially these days, you aren't guaranteed that you're going to have a budget next year. And so a big question that we've seen for a lot of our nonprofit clients is, well, how do I make my work more sustainable while still creating impact? And then well, which really comes down to prosperity and health. So whether it's mental health and trying to reduce the suicide rate uh, or improving the health of children in uh, developing countries or even mental health of of people who are still uh, in displacement camps around the world. It's those three goals that every single project that we take on in either of our organizations has to be contributing to in some degree. It has to push that needle forward. Otherwise, we just won't, won't take it on. Mm-hmm. That's I'd love to zone in on one of those three goals that you just mentioned sure. around sustainability. And you were talking about um, sustainability, but not in the environmental sense, but in the financial sense. Mm. And, you know, organizations' ability to sustain themselves financially. Mm. In, in this world of social impact and social entrepreneurship there's quite a stigmatism around making money and that making right. money is yeah. bad yeah yeah <laughs> what what are your thoughts on that sort of thing and maybe where does that thinking come from and what's the solution to that uh Anna, i think there's a lot to unpack there from a, a cultural psychology um zeitgeist perspective of of doing good means piousness and means that you should be giving and yeah yeah and i I think i think there's a lot there like that would take a long time to really unpack and it's quite a sensitive issue but i would say that there is a strong theme that if you're doing good um then you should be struggling which to me is is crazy um i think a lot of of non-profits struggle with the concept of how do i do good while ensuring that I have the revenue to do good. So if, if you're, let's say you're a hypothetical nonprofit and um, you are just getting by in terms of your budget and maybe you're, you know, let's say you're planting trees, you know, just top my head, you're planting trees and your budget this year means that you've been able to cover your quota for 100 trees planted and next year you're hoping to get that same budget again. Well, that's limiting how many trees you can actually plant. So one or two things have to happen. You need to either look at your model for how you're planting trees and figure out how you can actually increase the efficiency of that, um, or look at how you're actually receiving revenue and increase that in some way so you can plant more trees. Otherwise, you're, you're capping your potential impact. And that's, to me, critical to understand is that your um, your resources, in most cases your revenue, your, your um, capital, is directly and indelibly linked to your impact. The more resources you have, typically the greater impact that you can have. And so I think the challenge for a lot of nonprofits is, is to understand that you can't put impact above revenue. You can't put revenue above impact. They have to go hand in hand. Mm. Otherwise, and you see it in, in a lot of nonprofits now in the wake of the NDIS changes, struggling and, and may not exist in a couple of years, which then means that those at their service, whether individuals, communities, or parts of the environment, will suffer. I think that there is... A, I think you're right in that there is a, a stigma as well as I think there's a badge of honor to, to be the, the martyr or to be struggling in that sense. And I understand that. I, I really do. And I think it took us a long time to wrap our heads around that as well, which is where we had realized that we're being asked a lot for advice on, hey, how did you do that campaign in your nonprofit? 
and we, you know, people would buy us lunch and ask for our advice. And then we realized we should probably be charging for that. And then if we could charge for that, wouldn't that mean it'd be much easier to fund the work that we're doing? Well, okay, we can do that. And then the question was also, well, if we were charging for advice, what sort of work would we do that for? And so it became quite clear for us that the only client's uh, work that we take on through our consultancy is social impact focused. That means that it, it we are doing good by taking on client work. That means that the money that we receive for doing that work allows us to pay bills and eat, which is pretty important, um, but also means that we can do the work that we love to do through our nonprofit as well. And so it's a virtuous cycle in that sense. Mm-hmm. Being self-funded in our nonprofit, or primarily self-funded, I should say, we've had some um, donations, we've had some uh, sponsorship over the years, but it's primarily self-funded, means that we can try things that are uh, experimental or more... Um, uh, Wacko. What's wacko? wacko? Yeah, maybe wacko. <laughs> uh, you know, things like the the Global Mental Health Survey. Uh, yeah. Nobody had done that before. Nobody yeah. had tried. Progressive is probably better word. Progressive, yeah. Avant-garde, maybe. <laughs> um, if you're receiving funding, you, you tend to have your options limited and they want to see safety in your ideas, mm. which means that innovation in the space is really seen. So I guess my, my, my point is that... Um, if you are not thinking seriously about your revenue, then your expiration date is probably going to be quite set. Because if you're receiving government funding, for instance, and there's a government change, you can't control that, well, then what are you going to do? Suddenly you wake up and you're going to have a budget for next year. Um, if your corporate sponsors no longer see the value in what you're doing, they take that away, um, you have challenges. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if I were starting a non-profit over again, and I was going back eight years to when we started it, I probably would take a very different approach in those first few years about understanding how do we maintain our sustainability um, and how do we make sure that we have the biggest impact that we possibly can because that requires resources. Um, it's, not, it's not easy, though. I, I, I would 100% admit uh, every organization is different in terms of how it raises revenue, how it, it sustains its impact work. And so it's not an easy solution for everybody, but it is something I think that we need to pay more attention to. Yeah. That's the financial side of the coin. I'd mm. love to hear, I guess, get more into the impact side of the coin, yeah. so to speak. Nowadays in the commercial world, there's a lot of, arguably, there's a lot of impact washing going on, <laughs> or purpose washing or eco washing going on. What is real impact? What do you define as impact? That's a big question. You asked me this question once. I did I? What did you say? (laughs) (laughs) I think it comes down to a core understanding that what outputs your work creates or your organization creates is not your impact. So if you tell me, for instance, that you have built a hundred wells in uh, regional parts of the country, then I, I don't really care. Um, that isn't that isn't an impact. Um, that is uh, an output. It's an outcome of, of what work you've undertaken. If you tell me that you built a hundred wells, my next question would be: Well, how many people have been drinking from those wells? How much water do they get? How clean is the water? Why are you building these wells? Do they lack clean water in the first instance? And then, if you drill it down, it probably is going to end up in the case that um, you're trying to reduce waterborne disease in that region. In which case, I'd want to know over time. And I'm talking over years, how has that uh, waterborne disease instances reduced? And so I think from, from my perspective, from the perspective of this work that we do, impact is a long-term 
distinct improvement in the issue that you're trying to tackle. It is not uh, something as easily measurable as your social media uh, engagement or your social media reach. Um, how many people turned up to an event is not impact. Impact is not you know, how many books that you provided for a school. Impact, rather, is uh, how many people have changed their behavior over the long term because of your work uh, for a betterment of society or for their health or for whatever it is that they're doing. How many um, kids have graduated from that school that you've supported? How many people have changed their behavior after going to that event? And, or perhaps if, if say, your event is uh, immunization or um, vaccine production, how many people have not died from meningococcal? So if you're looking at impact, it is, it is hard. Uh, I will absolutely admit that. I guess it's why we do what we do. But it isn't as simple as telling me you've had a million people like your page. That's not impact. The difficult thing is that if you want to see real impact, it takes time to measure it. It also takes understanding of what is causing that issue in the first place and yeah. looking at all the factors that impact it. Yeah. That brings me to the next question that yeah. I had around you know, impact is this very abstract thing and that it is hard to measure. And I've, I've seen I've seen one of, that one of Spurs' beliefs is that if you can't measure it, it didn't happen, <laughs> um, which is bluntly true. <laughs> but, you know, some, some would say it's a little bit controversial. Um, I would actually just but, step back a little bit to what you yeah. said about impact is abstract. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would disagree. I, I'd okay. say impact is actually quite clear-cut. Um, is the situation better or not? So if you look at, um, at Garvey, uh, the uh, organization set up uh, with Bill Gates and a few other stakeholders to provide vaccines to various regions of the world, their impact is pretty straightforward. So um, if, if you provided X number of, of vaccines and you vaccinated X number of kids for disease Y, then your impact is the number of kids who have not died from disease Y over the next 10 years. That's not abstract. That's pretty clear cut. Yeah. I think where impact can become murky is if you, let's say you, you've provided textbooks to a school for girls in uh, a region where girls wouldn't otherwise receive education. Your impact would be directly linked to how many girls then graduate from that school, but you're not the only one doing that, right? You're going to have teachers there. You're going to have people who fund the school. You're going to have um, always other stakeholders that impact that core impact. And so, yes, that's when it can become tricky to figure out, well, how much of an impact did I have? Mm. And how much can I actually say that's because of me? That's mm. where it becomes tricky. Um, there are ways to do that, but it is, yes, it is um, tricky to, to pinpoint sometimes, depending on the situation. In terms of, of if you can't measure it, did it happen? Uh, yep, we, we would absolutely agree uh, and, and put forth that, that statement regularly. I think um, what you said before about impact washing uh, is a problem. I think I don't think that it's in the vast majority intentional. I think it's that it's hard to demonstrate your impact. And so it's easier to guess or to point to things that are more outputs or outcomes than uh, actual impact. Whereas from our perspective is if, if you are doing something that you're hoping is going to improve the world. And you can't give me concrete statistics and measurements to tell me that it has improved the world. Then as far as you know, it hasn't improved. 
Um, in which case, we would say maybe take a step back, look at what you're doing, and understand are you investing far more resources than you actually need to do that? Are you investing all these resources for no real return? Um, and the, the wells, as an example, if you spend all this time and money to build these wells and nobody's using it because of a cultural uh, situation, a misunderstanding, an educational problem that you weren't aware of, so the wells are just sitting there, and you're telling me quite proudly that you've built 100 wells that aren't being used, then yeah, no impact is happening. But unless you measure those wells, uh, unless you measure the usage, then you'll never know. And so, yes, from our perspective, very, very much so, if you can't measure your impact, we would have to assume it's not actually mm. Fantastic. And fortunately, nowadays, there are any number of organizations that are making a real conscious effort to have yeah. an impact, yeah. measure their impact. And my question is, why do you think that is occurring, that organizations mm. are looking at measuring their impact? How is strategy changing in organizations these days? You know, I, th I think that's, that's a really, really good question. I thought that's a lot, and I agree. I think more and more now it's it's necessary and it's considered really important to measure impact. I think a couple of things more are happening. Um, one, those that are involved in impact investment uh, or funding uh, social change, social impact issues, are asking for it. And a lot of that comes down to those that have entered the space, or a lot of new people in the space at least, come from different backgrounds where it's not just about wanting to feel good uh, or ticking a box but it's really look i've got money and i want to give it to you but i want to know that my investment which is what i'm looking at is a social impact investment is going to have a social impact return so tell me what i'm getting back or what society is getting back for that money whereas uh, i think in years past it was a look we'll just assume that some good's going to happen i think the second thing that's happening is that we have better tools, better resources to probably track that information. Um, the world of, of data that we live in means that we can actually drill down more uh, definitively into what is actually happening. And so we just, we just have better skills, better tools for it. I think the third thing is that there is this, um, you know, I would, I would say that I hate the word disruption because it's been used to death in the startup world, uh, in the technology world. Impact is now, I think, starting to become the new disruption in the sense that there is this um, wonderful emergence of people who want something greater than their lives and their careers than just making money and building a startup, which is fine. And, and I, would, I would be, you know, with, with a strong asterisk, there's nothing wrong with making money and building a startup. It's necessary for society. But um, more and more companies, more and more individuals, are now interested in impact. And so they're not only bringing in a different perspective on impact, in terms of much like running a business, you want to know what social return or impact investment is, but they're also competing with each other. Uh, you can swing a cat and hit like a gazillion different mental health organizations now. Whereas when we started, um, far, far fewer. And so if you're in a sector where you're competing, and I would often say needlessly, there should be much more collaboration. But if you are competing with different organizations doing a similar thing to you, you probably have a lot more pressure on you to actually demonstrate that what you're doing is having a, a really strong impact and therefore you should be the resources that you need. Um, I think it's the combination of those three things, probably more that I'm not smart enough to identify. Um, but I think it's just a very different landscape to what it was probably uh, in the last decade. Mm. 
that's a really good lens, I guess, over the private sector. Mm. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the public sector. What role do you think governments play in the future in, in developing that? Yeah. You know, I think that's tricky. I've had a few debates with people recently about the role of nonprofits, governments, and corporates in the future of impact and world bettering. I would just put it as simply as the, the world is in a much better place than it ever has been, right? If you look at um, a lot of the statistics uh, around child mortality, um, poverty, Everything you can really think of, things are almost all better. Um, you know, 9% of the world is poverty, whereas uh, 100 years ago or so it was only 5%. Um, things, things are good, things, things are good, but still kind of shit. Um, the shit parts of the world, which are rather significant, but need to fix, are also problems that are quite complex and quite ingrained into our society in ways that's very, very hard to unpack. So if you look at the number of coffee cups, for instance, that are consumed over the day, the number of single-use plastics that are clogging up our rivers and then degrading all of our oceans and our all through pretty much fish species that we have, or what, of what fish we have left. To change how the world consumes and uses plastic, I cannot see a government achieve. That is going to take a multi-stakeholder cross collaboration to achieve to, to change that much of what is considered normal but is inherently damaging. Um, a, a government can't do that. A government cannot make a legislation that says we're banning coffee cups and banning these plastics, and the world is going to be cool with it. You're going to need corporates to come up with new ideas on how to provide those solutions. I think similarly, you're going to need corporates to. Uh, work with government on new innovations and new ideas that government won't even see coming. And then this will be released and, okay, cool, that's a great idea. It will change the policy around it. I think the age of, of just relying on government to solve all the problems in the world uh, is either gone or it's quickly going. I think government should always be, yeah, it's government, it should be the best interest of people, wherever it can to improve the lives of its people, but it needs help. Um, and I think the future of the planet, if, if we go the good way, or we'll survive and we'll have a good time and things aren't terrible, um, is going to rely on corporates being active, participating corporate citizens. Um, but the, the guiding star, I think, should remain as government, because it's impartial, it's, it's um, there are checks and balances. So, I've forgotten your original question, um, but... You've answered it. <laughs> Even if you've forgotten, you've answered it. <laughs> Good. Will, you've travelled quite extensively through your work. Um, you're involved in a lot of global initiatives. What global initiatives do you believe are really leading the charge when it comes to fostering impact? Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, especially in the last two or three years, um, our work has become much more global. And my world has also changed quite a bit. And I would say to anybody that is in this space or is going to create impact, um, you will not regret looking outside of our own borders or your own borders. Um, I think it's incredibly critical. I'm going on a bit of a, of a, of a tangent. I'll get back to your question, but um, you'll get there. I'll get there. I'll tell <laughs> an Irish story. Um, I think it's it's very easy to underestimate how important it is. 
is to get outside of your place and meet with other people from around the world and understand what their life is like, understand uh, their perspective, and understand that we are part of one house. And your country, your community might be one room in that house, but it's all part of the same house. And what we do does impact every single person. Um, that's definitely been something that I've, I've gained tremendously over the past uh, few years. Uh, and in answer to your question, I'm a global shaper, uh, which is part of the Global Shapers community, which is an initiative of the World Economic Forum. A few years ago, I had no idea what that was. Uh, I was asked to join Global Shapers. I said, it sounds like a weight loss group. Um, what is it? And then someone said, just join, you'll, you'll, you'll see. And Global Shapers is, uh, it's a non-profit community set up by the, the World Economic Forum to enable the youth of our society to have an impact on local communities while also elevating the voices to have a greater say in decisions that affect our, us as a young generation much longer than those who are typically making those decisions. So essentially letting us have a seat at the table for global decisions. Um, that community around the world is doing incredible stuff in, in the local hubs. You know, there's a hub in Erbil uh, that set up a mental health clinic and a cancer ward. And these are people who have day jobs, who are studying, who are in their 20s and 30s. Um, and that just blew over my mind. The Global Shapers itself, being part of the World Economic Forum, the forum is, um, again, something I'd never heard of. Um, I was invited to its annual meeting in Davos uh, in January this year. And I, I really understood then what it was trying to do, which is to create discourse amongst the global players, people who have huge influence and huge power, organizations that make decisions for micro society and allow them to meet and discuss and put aside differences that may be important to them in front of the camera, but when you are sitting down across from something, you sort of talk about issues that matter. I think the forum itself, you're putting aside part of that community, I think the impact of it has in even to bring together people to create discourse, who then go on to set up things like Garvey and that of a, a forum meeting a few years back. Um, What's Garvey? Garvey is a, a non-profit organization that uh, facilitates immunizations, vaccines, and various um, solutions for um, particularly children in lower tier countries. Um, it's funded by a combination of organizations like the Gates Foundation and a bunch of stakeholders a number of pharmaceutical companies that provide their uh, medicine at uh, basically cost price in order to get it to these countries. Um, it's a great organization, but that only happened because of the meeting at Dallas. So the forum I'm a big fan of, the Gates Foundation does incredible work. I'm going to a meeting at events for the Gates Foundation in New York later in the month. Um, I think that they do, they do tremendous work. But it it isn't just about the big shiny looking players and one of our clients works in the foster care system which I think a lot of organizations that provide care do provide significant impact that we often don't think about. You know, you and I are both young, one of us is a bit older than the other, but we won't play uh, with that yet. <laughs> um, we don't often think about age care, but we're going to go into that at one point in our life. It's, you know, a few decades away and then boom, you're starting to think about that. Um, most of society doesn't think about these sort of things, but it is incredibly important for us. And similarly, you know, you and I, uh, as far as I'm aware, we're never in the foster care system, 
And so we don't probably think about that much. Or we don't think about being a foster carer. Um, these organizations provide these services that society largely doesn't want to think about until they absolutely need it. So I think that there are, yes, there are global institutions that are doing uh, an incredible work. I think there are also local institutions that probably don't get as much, uh, actually, no, I would say absolutely don't get as much fanfare uh, as the, the big name China organizations. Yeah, I think the difficulty is public at large doesn't necessarily think about impact the way that you know, people in our sector do. And so we're trying to convince them to get involved or support organizations can be hard to wrap their heads around understand how they feel. What other inspiring organizations or projects have you come across recently that are effectively creating and making their impact? Uh, yeah. Um, so in the, earlier this year, I met um, a woman named uh, Doreen Tessie, who grew up in uh, a rural part of Tanzania, um, and she's grown up to help fund an organisation for the Bombo, um, and they provide children's entertainment TV series uh, for regions in Africa. Not only is their work amazing and incredibly creative, but they track the education of those programs, and so they know that kids who watch their shows perform better in school. Doreen's approach to this is, is remarkable, and I think it's firing for me. We saw each other recently in uh, Switzerland at the Double Show Summit. The sort of work that she does, I think, is easy to look at as just kids' TV, but the reason they do it and the impact they're trying to create in terms of improving the education system um, in their region is, is incredible. A lot of educational programs might develop, you know, shows to help kids count or to help them focus on school studies or whatever. But the fact that they've gone the step of actually tracking and measuring the impact of what those, those shows do for kids, that there's an X percentage increase in performance at school, I think is, is to me, it's, it's, it's incredibly inspiring. Um, and Doreen's uh, story, too, of how she can do that, I'd encourage anybody to look, look up uh, Bombery, U-B-O-N-G-O. Yeah, the work they do is, is uh, amazing. There's uh, also Jody Pansal, who founded the Berlin Himalayan Expedition. Um, basically, take a group of people who want to go see the Himalayas on a hike through the mountains. They pay a fee to go, and it's sort of like a, an adventure tour. The one catch is that you have to help carry solar power materials to villages. And so you, as part of this, this tour, you bring this equipment into the village. You then help set it up and protect everything. As a result, when you finish, you then have a village that, for the first time in its history ever, will have electricity. And as a result, the kids can then study that night. When you provide electricity, you provide lighting to a developing area, it's not just about creating lights, but it means that, let's say, you get a washing machine. Well, if you don't have to spend time washing your clothes by hand, you can then go, you can study, you can um, plant more food, you can do other things that contribute to, to lifting up that situation. So the work that he does is, is incredible. Um, they just received a bunch of funding to expand that network. So the Village Himalayan Expedition is, is, is absolutely incredible. I'm trying to convince Jody to take me on a, a trip, but he knows that I'm probably a terrible hiker, so I have to convince him a bit more. So that, one, that one's also incredible. I think what makes me... I think over the past few years, I've become simultaneously paradoxically terrified and hopeful. You know, a few a few events that I've been to, such as the Unleash Innovation Lab, 
or the Levenshaven Summit has reminded me of the number of huge problems that we have to solve, or the huge injustices that are uh, in the world. But then I also remember there are just stacks of incredibly talented, incredibly passionate people about the world who are doing amazing things. And it's very easy to not think about the good news and think about the good stuff that's happening. But it's stories like that, otherwise you might not have heard about. But I think it's really important for us to take a moment and investigate it. If you can help, great, and do that. If not, be inspired by it. Um, think about these sort of great things that are happening and, and what you could possibly do in your regular life to make that job easier. This has been awesome. Thank you very much, Will, for your generous insights and time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.